Right. My personal goal here this morning is to be encouraged for those who seem far from the faith. Okay, holding on to hope that God is working in their lives and, uh, and just believing God's going to use us in the process of seeing many, many testimonies for the glory of God. The story goes that St. Francis of Assisi was, uh, he once invited an apprentice to go with him into a, a nearby village to preach. Seizing the opportunity to see his teacher in action, the young monk quickly agreed. When they arrived at the village, Francis began simply visiting with the people there. First, they stopped by the local butcher. After that, they went to the cobbler. Following that, they walked to the home of a woman who had recently lost her husband. After that, they stopped by the school to talk to a teacher. And this continued throughout the morning until finally Francis said to this young disciple that it's time to return to the abbey. Well, the student didn't understand what was going on. He said, but we came to preach. We haven't yet preached a sermon. To which Francis said, haven't we? People have watched us, listened to us, responded to us. Every word we've spoken, every deed we've done has been a sermon we've preached all morning. Well, James would have loved that letter because that's, that's what he's all, all about. And as far as he's concerned, Christianity is more about our actions on Monday than any kind of sermon we might have heard or any kind of worship experience we might have had on Sunday. My brothers and sisters, he writes, if people say they have faith, but do nothing, their faith is worth nothing. And then this rhetorical question, can faith like that save them? You just have to appreciate the way that James shoots straight. He's not suggesting that good works are the ticket to heaven. In fact, you see right away, he proclaims the Lord Jesus Christ, so he knows salvation is based in on faith alone. So what he's doing here is he's expressing a faith that is mostly seen in a faith in Christ demonstrated through our love for others, that these are the evidences of God's Spirit at work in a person's life. It's not what we know. It's not what we say, it's not any merit that we may hang on the wall, it's also what we do. St. Francis is also known to have said, preach without ceasing, and if necessary, use words. <laughs> James would have liked that as well. So James chapter 1, verse 1, this is as far as we're going to get today, I think, so we'll just do our best with it, alright? Here we go. James. <clears throat> a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. So, so right away, we're presented with a challenge, and that challenge is, which James is it that wrote this letter? If you work your way through the New Testament, and depending how you read it, there are four or five possibilities as to who it could have, could have been, but we can eliminate uh, several of them right away. For example, in Luke chapter 6, verse 16, we're given a list of the disciples, and there we find 
to Judas's. We find Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus. And we find Judas, the son of James. Well, since this is the only time this particular James appears in the entire Bible, and due to his age compared to the age that we know of the other disciples, uh, that pretty much eliminates him. So then we come to James, the son of Alphaeus. Uh, probably the same guy that Mark refers to in his gospel as James the Less or, or James the Younger. And though he was one of the original 12 disciples, he disappears from the biblical record very early on, just shortly after the upper room experience on Pentecost. And you can find that in Acts chapter 1, verse 13. We don't see him again, so that potentially eliminates two more. Next possibility, James, the son of Zebedee, also the brother of John. Together they were known as the sons of thunder, always ready to call down fire from heaven upon anyone who would oppose Jesus. Does anybody ever feel that way? Uh, Any sons of thunder in here this morning? Yeah. Well, he was one of the three in Jesus' inner circle, played a huge part in the development of the early church. But by the hand of Herod Agrippa I, he was the first of the 12 disciples to uh, have been martyred, dying in 44 AD. You can find that in Acts chapter 12, uh, verse 2. And the book of James is believed to have been written after that. So, that only leaves us with one possibility. He wasn't one of the original 12 disciples. He is James, the half-brother of Jesus. And contrary to what many of us have been taught, Mary did go on to have other children, children not conceived of the Holy Spirit as Jesus was, but children who were conceived together with her husband Joseph. Wow, did that just shock anybody? Because my Catholic background, I mean, hearing that for the first time, it was totally a shocker, right? But it's very real. You know, they say that the firstborn sets the tone for all of the other children to follow. Can you imagine having to follow in Jesus' footsteps? (laughs) Talk about second child syndrome, you know, who's coming behind Jesus here. My my older brother uh, was a very much appreciated trumpet soloist in his high school band and uh, loved to talk about how he he could play the Star-Spangled Banner and he was always the one to hit that that next octave C that nobody else could hit, and so his band director always let him play. So when I came along six years later, uh, the band teacher assumed I'd have that same, same level of, you know, of capabilities. Well, sorry to disappoint. <laughs> I couldn't quite live up to my brother Frank, particularly coming in as a freshman, and so it's tough to follow in a sibling's footsteps. Well, can you imagine what it would have been like to have followed in Jesus' footsteps? I mean, not only did Jesus learn how to walk, he learned to walk on water, right? (laughs) Yeah, my older brother can walk on water. That's holding him in pretty high regard. By the age of 12, he could discuss intellectual things with the most educated. He had that ability, and it's even recorded there for all of us to see. Jesus could turn water into wine. Now, who's going to match that one, right? In fact, I heard a story about a priest who was pulled over for speeding. 
And as the officer approached the car, he immediately smelled alcohol, and he saw a bottle of wine lying there on the floor. So he asked, Sir, have you been drinking? To which the priest said, Just water. And the officer says, Then why do I smell wine? And the priest really quickly shot back, Dear Lord, he's done it again. There you go. Well, imagine having to live up to Jesus as an older sibling. Well, it turns out James didn't fare too well in all of this. In in fact, in order to begin our study of, of the book of James, we need to back up a little bit and get a perspective and a picture, a look into exactly who this guy James is. So rather than going right into the epistle, I just want us to get a picture of of who he is because it turns out that St. James, St. James, again, emphasis on St. James because this this, uh, gives you a picture of my Catholic heritage. St. James, hang me as a heretic, was an ordinary man just like you and me. We need to grasp that. If anyone should have recognized who Jesus was, it should have been the people who were closest to him, right? Mm, Wrong. That's not true. Have you ever had the thought that your Christian journey would be a whole lot simpler if you could just have a few years to walk with Jesus? And experience what these people experienced, not just the 12, but Jesus' own family. Well, James proves that wrong right here. Grew up in the same house Jesus grew up in. He's one of the sons of Joseph and Mary. Therefore, as I said, he's a half-brother of Jesus. But like the rest of Jesus' family, did you hear what I just said? Like the rest of Jesus' family, James did not accept the claims that Jesus was making until some time after Jesus had died and rose again. This all is why it's so important to understand who this James is. When Jesus left home for the first time, you know, James had to feel pretty good about it. Yeah, get him out of here, right? He's an older brother. He's annoying, right? James probably got his own bedroom, maybe his own bathroom or at least he didn't have to wait for the outhouse to open up or something like this and he didn't have to worry about who ate all the captain crunch you know when he woke up the next day besides he probably thought jesus was a little bit weird i mean think about it he amazed people yeah he said things like i had to be about my father's business what does that mean what, what are you talking about jesus And by the time Jesus returned home, there are some pretty outrageous things being said about him. People are talking. They're saying that this guy claims to be the long-awaited Savior, the long-awaited Messiah. How do you think James is feeling now about his older brother Jesus, right? Well, wonder no more. Let me give you a little insight here. Go over to John chapter 7, verse 5. And what you find there is this statement. For even Jesus' own brothers did not believe in him. Whoa. (laughs) Go over to Mark chapter 3, verse 21. It says there about his family that they went to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. Now, scholars debate what they meant when they said he is out of their mind. They're trying to figure this out and put it together. I tend to take things for what they say, but they'll tell you that this was the best way to protect Jesus, right? 
Yeah, I mean, the best way to get your loved one off the hook when they're put on trial is to plead insanity, right? Yeah, so they're pleading insanity on behalf of their brother. Well, regardless, it's safe to say that throughout the Gospels, Jesus' own brother James is a skeptic. He operates out of unbelief. But, as I started with, don't give up hope on those who don't know him because things do change for James. After his death and his resurrection, James was with the disciples the next time they gathered in the upper room. He was there when the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. He watched as the church exploded, even though it was faced with persecution. What changed about James? What happened? Well, we get a picture of that too over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 because we see something that we otherwise wouldn't see if we didn't have this chapter. It's the appearance of the resurrected Lord specifically to James. Look at it. Starting with verse 1, 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas who is Peter. And then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then what's that next line? Then he appeared to his own brother, James. And what that shows is it appears that following his resurrection, Jesus made sure to go out of his way to make sure his brother James saw him and could see that everything that was said about him was real and so that James could know. And evidently, that's what it took to win James because God will do whatever it takes. Remember, Jesus said, even if someone were to come back from the dead, they wouldn't believe. Well, that's not the case for James. James saw his resurrected brother and he believed. So, James is a changed man. From that time forward, he became a leader of the church at Jerusalem. And in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul calls him a pillar of the church. It was James who moderated a discussion, a conflict that is seen in Acts chapter 15, the question of circumcision and where it was settled that circumcision of the flesh was merely a forerunner to a greater work that God wanted to do, which was about circumcision of the heart. When Peter was miraculously set free from prison as the disciples were praying. He wanted to make sure that Jesus' brother James heard about it. And when Paul visited Jerusalem, he went out of his way to make sure that James got a first-hand report as to what God was doing among the Gentiles and to make sure that, 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 uh, that James personally received the offering that had been taken for that church. Good stuff. It's all good stuff. But James' authentic faith eventually would become the death of him. Eusebius gives us a description of exactly what took place. 
And he writes it this way. I'm just reading directly from his writings. But after Paul, in consequences of his appeal to Caesar, had been sent to Rome by Festus, the Jews, being frustrated in their hope of entrapping him by the snares which they had laid for him, turned against James, the brother of our Lord, leading him into their midst, They demanded of him that he should renounce faith in Christ in the presence of all the people. But contrary to the opinion of all, with a clear voice and with a greater boldness than they had anticipated, he spoke out before the whole multitude and confessed that our Savior and Lord Jesus is the Son of God. But they were unable to bear longer the testimony of the man who, on account of the excellence of ascetic virtue and of piety which he exhibited in his life, was esteemed by all as the most just of men, and consequently they slew him. James. Josephus, another historian, reports he was stoned to death, but Eusebius says that he was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple and then beaten to death with clubs. Pinnacle of the temple has some interest to me because if you remember when Jesus was tempted the three times, Satan took him to the pinnacle of the temple, right? Yeah, and he said, throw yourself off because it is written, he'll command his angels concerning you to lift you up, right? And Jesus said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And if you're in Israel, and uh, if you come over the Mount of Olives, which you're approaching the temple from the east, heading west, looking over the Kidron Valley, that southeast corner of the temple would have been the exact spot where all of this happened. It's kind of, it gives me goosebumps. But then you think, wait a minute, when Jesus comes again, he's coming over the top of that mountain, right? Cross the Mount of Olives, over the Kidron Valley, and right there into the Holy Mountain. I just had to sidetrack on that one because it's kind of cool. James, the brother of Jesus, martyred A.D. 62. If you do a comparative study, if you take your New Testament and you look at all of the potential dates of which each book was written, okay, you will discover that James, the book of James, is probably the first of all the New Testament books written. But guess what? It was one of the last books that was admitted into the canon. Canon simply meaning test or standard. That means that the church accepted as these are the inspired works of God. In fact, Martin Luther wanted the book of James decanonized because he said it's too much of a works-based gospel. But that's not true. Luther had it wrong again, as much as we respect Luther, right? You see, right away, James starts off professing the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the beginning of all of it. So here's James, brother of Jesus, rejected Jesus. And so it poses the question, have you given up on someone who seems to be an antagonist of the faith? Don't give up on them because far beyond any human effort that you will ever put forth, God is still at work drawing people to himself. Jesus' own brother said Jesus was out of his mind. 
But God was able to reveal himself to James and God is able to reveal himself to those people that you want to see come to faith. Yeah, he wants to use you in this process, but let's remember, ultimately, it's God's work, okay? And that's why right here, man, Jamie, thank you for what you said about tonight, leadership training, that it's all about influence. It's all about me as a leader recognizing, listen, if you want to know what my calling was rooted in, it was rooted in the reality of Jesus saying, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do men light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand for all to see. See, my buddy Pete, who I credit for leading me to the Lord, had no idea he was influencing me. And, and I believe my message to the church is you are influencing somebody. What are you influencing them to? And how do I sharpen your understanding of that so you can be more intentional that God wants to use you to make a difference in somebody's life so that together we're seeing people coming to faith. And that's tonight. So there's a commercial for you all, okay? <laughs> there you go. But I want to press on, okay? Because I've talked several times about... Jesus' family now saying that Jesus was out of his mind. If you read the context of that, what you'll discover is that Jesus is preaching at a house. And there were so many people wanting to get to Jesus at this point. The place was packed. But his mother and his brother, brothers, they wanted to get to him. They wanted to get a message to him. They were trying to rescue him. They couldn't, so they sent a messenger into the house through the crowd, and the message goes like this. Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you, to which Jesus asked this question. Who are my mother and my brothers? Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So, <clears throat> I used that line once on my mom and dad. Yeah, I did. You see, I started going to one of those Protestant churches. And if you're going to live in this house, you're going to be Catholic. Well, who are my mother and my brothers? He who does the will of my father. It didn't go over very well. I think that day my dad told me I could no longer live in the house. And that was okay, because I'd made my stand for Jesus. I think I was overzealous. I think I was, had zeal without knowledge, but that's where I was. But think about who Jesus is talking about right here. He's talking about Mary. I mean, in Catholicism, it's Holy Mary, Mother of God. And if you're the Mother of God, guess who comes first? Mary comes before God, right? If you're going to articulate, and I'm not saying all Catholics teach that, okay? But it's, it's some who have gone off and gotten zealous for, for this. But the, but the prayer says, Holy Mary, Mother of God, and that confuses people. Jesus wants us to know that Mary, just like James and anyone else out there, had to come to a place of making a decision, who do you say Jesus is. And just the fact that God used Mary to bring Jesus in the world wasn't a guarantee. It had to be rooted in, Mary, who do you say Jesus is? James, who do you say Jesus 
is. And right now, God is asking that question of somebody in this room. Who do you say Jesus is? Because if you think it's going to be based on some good thing that you did, you're going to be very, very disappointed. If you could be very, very disappointed, and if you could be good enough to earn your own ticket to heaven, then God would have never have paid the price that he paid through his own son. So what you're saying in saying you're good enough and you don't need any Savior is you're saying, I spit on what Jesus did on my behalf. What are you going to do with Jesus? Take a moment. Just think about it. Think about your life. Think about James's stages leading him to faith. Think about what got him here and think about where you are currently. Are you at a place of denial? Are you denying that Jesus is the one God sent? Where are you? Does the gospel seem like madness to you that people of faith are out of their mind? Or are you at a place where you say, well, I've seen for myself and I believe. God has somehow made that real to me. Then take it a step further and in these troubling times when threats are being made against Christians all over the world and many are dying for their faith, are you at a place in your life where you're ready to stand with greater boldness as God empowers you to live out your confession regardless of the threats that might come against you or the realities that you might face? And that's the beauty of James right here. An ordinary person just like you and me and just like you and me he shows some of the honest struggles of the faith he couldn't quite get it most of us have had some kind of denial period most of us have probably had some kind of an experience with him to make him come real but all of us will be asked to stand for our faith in these last days what are we going to do so I'm excited about our study of the book of James. Very practical book. It's going to challenge us like no other book can. It will challenge us to grow up, to grow up in life, to grow up in faith, so that we can take this faith with us wherever we go, take it to the streets, take it to the marketplace, wherever God may have us to be. All right. How are we doing? Y'all look good. Okay, I just have to give you two more things because as a teacher, I just wouldn't feel complete if I didn't give you those, okay? So I've got to give you these, and they're good things. So uh, let's, let's get to this, okay? They're both here in verse 1. First thing I need you to notice is that James calls himself a servant of the Lord Jesus. That is the Greek word doulos. James says, I am a slave of the Lord Jesus. Now, think about who's saying this, and think about who it's related to. This is the younger brother saying, I'm a slave to my older brother. Now, I had an older brother, and there is no way you would ever get me to say, I'm a slave to my older brother. Now, there were times when I felt that way, right? And if you flip it around and ask my brother, he probably thought that somehow he had dominion over me. (laughs) At least it felt that way, right? But James right here is saying he is a slave to Jesus, his older brother. Now, 
I know that some of you are going to argue right there and they're say, yeah, but Jesus said that I no longer call you slaves, doulos. Instead, I call you friends, philo. From the, you know, that's where we get Philadelphia, brotherly love, right? I no longer call you doulos, I call you philos because a slave doesn't know his master's business, but I have made my father's will known to you. And you can go there if you want to, but here's the deal. Jesus referred to himself as being a slave. And it says about Jesus, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a doulos, of a slave. Because that's the way it is in heaven. In heaven with relationships, there's no 50-50 bargaining that goes on there. Everyone in the kingdom is philos. Everyone is family. Everyone shares brotherly love. But out of that, and by an act of our will, by freedom, by liberty, and by choice, we serve one another 100%, 100%. It's a part of growing up. Jesus said, whoever wants to become great among you must become your doulos. Yeah. Philo, let's enjoy the fellowship. But let's not look for what everybody else is doing for us. Let's be about what we can do for others, regardless. Okay, one more thing. Was that good? Was that worth worth it? I like that one. So, yeah. In fact, I'm thinking next Easter I need to do something about um, uh, the difference Easter makes, you know, and just come back to this whole piece of James, right? Then he appeared to James, and I think there would be a cool message there, but we'll see what happens with that. All right, so in verse 1, the end of the verse, it says, to the 12 tribes scattered, okay? And that word scattered is of the dispersion, okay? So of the 12 tribes of the dispersion among the nations. And if you know anything about Jewish history at this time, at the time James wrote this book, then, then you know that, that the, the tribes, all the tribes of Israel, most of the tribes of Israel had pretty much lost their specific identities. In fact, even today you'll see writings on the 10 lost tribes of Israel. So what James is doing right here, he's using this as an expression of using it, excuse me, as a figure of speech to express his heart for his own people, the Jews. And what it shows is that he has a special place for the Jewish people. But when you look at it contextually, he uses the word brethren, brethren as a general term to refer to all Christians because at the time James was written, the church had not yet separated from the synagogue practices. It was still part, okay? So this says it is written for everybody. James is for all of us. It will help all of us to grow up, to become a little stronger in our faith if we will allow it. So I'm excited about the book of James and I'm particularly excited about next week when we get to verse 2 because we talk about the trials of life. What do we do with the trials of life? Is there really anything of worth for all the testing we go through? I've said to you and I'll say it again that at any point in life, We're either going into a crisis, 
we're in the midst of a crisis or we're coming out of a crisis, okay? Now, don't say amen there or I'll call you a hypocrite, (laughs) you know, because amen means so be it. But the truth is, that's just the way it is. And so next week, we're going to look at the purpose of testing. And out of that, we're going to be encouraged in the midst of whatever it is we're facing as God is my helper. Amen? There you go. Intro to the book of James. Will you stand with me? Our Father, we give you praise. And we are amazed at the way that you highlight things for us in your word as we begin to understand it. And we're amazed to realize today that people who knew Jesus best were the quickest to deny him and to reject him. And how is it as believers that we're so quick to give up on people when there's example after example of those who have come to faith in a less conventional way then makes us comfortable. So thank you for James. Thank you that somehow you revealed yourself to us. Help us never to take it for granted. Help us to never think that it's the result of the way we grew up or because of our parents' desires or because we married into it or because it's what we're supposed to do. But because you are real and you are drawing your, all who will hear yourself. Thank you, Lord. All glory, honor, and praise. All glory, honor, and praise to you. I'm going to invite our